Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Carol, you wrote the book on tea. Helena, you've been on tea. Uh, mm-hmm. Me, I'm fueled by tea. I can't get away from it. Um, so I'm kind of the odd man out, but you're the odd women in. Um, and I thought it would be an interesting conversation. Actually, I think all three of us would be an interesting conversation to talk about testosterone's effect on the female body uh, or anything, but specifically with regard to Carol's work studying testosterone and Helena's uh, experience with testosterone, just seeing how those things align and questions that Helena has and that Carol have for each other. Uh, I think it'd be great for the audience to listen to. So It's really interesting. I'm excited to see if I get any insight into my experience because I think I'm in kind of a weird spot where obviously I, I can't really um, judge by what men experience because despite the fact that I took testosterone, I'm still a female and that's going to be different. But um, it was definitely a very interesting experience and the medical community does not have a lot of answers. And for me, it was um, a very like v- life-changing experience and it left a big mark on my psychology and my life and, and my views and stuff. So yeah, I'm interested to see if I can gain some insight into that. Can I ask you a qu- couple questions uh, about what you just said? So two yeah. things just jumped out at me. One was the medical community it does not have some of the information that you were looking for. So I'd like to hear about that. And the other piece is that this had obviously a huge psychological impact on you. And I'm curious about that. So part of my motivation for writing a book about testosterone is was to understand what it is try to understand more fully what it is like to be a man and have gone through life starting you know shortly like prenatally had a lot of testosterone shaping your brain and then what it is like to go through life as a man in and ways in ways that i think women other than say detransitioners um really don't, cannot grasp, can hardly even mm-hmm. fathom. So I, since, since I wrote the book and I've been, you know, on various podcasts and talking to trans um, men and women, and I talked to a couple detransitioners and interviewed one for the book. And while I know there's a lot of variance in people's experiences um, on and off of testosterone, there's definitely you know, the, the big change, as far as I can see, is sex and mm-hmm. emotionality. Although the emotionality seems much more variable in terms of access, ability to access and express emotions, changes in anger, that seems to vary crying. But the sex part seems not to vary much. I haven't talked to anyone. Maybe sexuality or? Sex drive sexuality changes in interesting ways and i'm like sexual orientation and i'm not sure if it did for you um some people sort of switch from gynophilia to androphilia um as they go on or off 
testosterone. But so I guess that, so the second part of what I wanted to ask is in what, what changed for you? Because what I have come away with is a lot more um, compassion for men, really. And um, the sort of judgment and shame that they face for being men and having the sort of drives that they have. Of course, behavior needs to be dealt with but yeah. it's the um, mm-hmm. these drives that I think men tend to be shamed about. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you, ha- having gone through what you went through, if you feel less judgy about men. Yeah, absolutely. Or- and I think obviously a lot of women particularly would be concerned with feeling like maybe we or I are excusing male behavior, which is like you said, like absolutely not. If someone's behaving badly, you know, that's, I'm not trying to excuse them, but um, it has really made me think about how important guidance really is for young men and having like a role model and like some kind of, you know, help or philosophy for how to, manage these urges and these drives because they are really powerful and i said earlier that i don't want to use my experience to feel like it's or to judge the male experience because obviously it is different being a female on testosterone than being a male and having natural testosterone but i would be lying if i said that i haven't talked to a lot of men about my experience and when i talk about what it felt like being on testosterone the pretty much unanimous answer is yeah that's what it's like um so i do feel like i have a little bit uh we can we can definitely get into that but um i just wanted to say that it gave me uh an appreciation for how difficult it must be for some men growing up in our society where we don't really have a philosophy that integrates masculinity right now and integrates these kind of like male um drives and and feelings especially for young men it's just kind of like demonizing and expecting men to fit this kind of female ideal of behavior or perceived female ideal of behavior without just reckoning with the fact that like these drives and behaviors are often coming from you know a natural biological place and young men need help to integrate that into a more you know well-rounded functioning personality and you can't just shame and medicate and demonize young boys and young men um when they experience these natural drives and so um it's just really given me an appreciation for that and it's also given me an appreciation for how many young men are growing up without fathers and without father figures and how difficult that must be because um if if my experience is anything to go by like i think young men really need you know like if if that's going to be the way that you feel and it's not going to be something that you can quit like i could quit taking testosterone but if as a man you just have to learn how to manage these urges and these experiences and these drives like i think young men do need role models and examples for that and adult guidance that isn't just pathologizing and demonizing them spicy <laughs> yeah no I, i'm so glad to hear you say that um of all the i've had so many conversations with so many people about te- obviously testosterone and transitioning and masculinity and i think this is the most salient interesting 
revelatory piece that has come out for me is this, uh, and it's controversial. <laughs> Fortunately, that um, is a nuanced point. I think this is a really, really important experience that um, I think it helps to have women say what you said. And it's hard for women to have the insight and the openness to sort of have the feelings I think that you have if mm. we haven't been living as a man or taking testosterone or really re researching exactly what testosterone does to the body and brain. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's just such an important piece. And, and I think we're in our infancy, um, unfortunately, in terms of helping men and women kind of appreciate that nuance. And I, I always feel like, well, I could have been born male. You could have been born male. And then I don't think we would be thinking of femininity as thus moral standard in the way that we do now. And I think that's damaging. And that is like, a, unfortunately, a controversial thing to say, I think, in terms of feminism and the um, activism right now. Femininity yeah, as a moral standard. That's interesting. Could you expand on that? Well, this is just me uh, expressing some points of view that uh, I haven't completely fleshed out yet. And that's so it's nice to have this conversation. And I hope, yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to kind of figure out my feelings about this a little bit more, a lot more. Um, but I get the I do feel like the way that women are in the world relative to the way men are so women are in fact overall um have more empathy are more nurturing tend to um be more in touch with their feelings less you know physically aggressive so all of this stuff together can seem like well that's how everybody should be so women in that sense are better than men and uh, that it just fails to account for like look what's going on right now um there i there are like in ukraine say it, there's certainly women who are out there giving their lives and um sorry it's so upsetting there was just some like awful news stories today about what's going on there but we have these incredibly brave strong men for the most part who are risking their lives it's mostly women and children who've left and mostly men who are staying behind and why don't we talk more about that that's a huge sacrifice that's a positive aspect of masculinity why don't we talk about all the amazing fathers who stick around and are so incredibly nurturing in it but in a kind of a masculine way it's in a different way and i really don't think that we want everyone to be like as expressive and emotional as i am i think that would be a disaster <laughs> like there is something to be said for stoicism it is useful in a lot of different conditions um yeah so i think this idea that feminism Femi more feminine behavior should be the moral standard. I think that people may not think about that consciously, but that seems to be the attitude to me that a lot of women and maybe feminist movements um, embrace. 
Well, it's more adaptable to a stable environment, a stable environment, meaning, uh, you know, more social environment where there's less threats of physical um, problems, you know, where you have the men kind of invisibly fixing my Internet, hopefully right now. Right. But Mm. in while I'm in the Internet, I need to act softer, kinder, more empathetic because I'm not dealing with the harsh elements right now. So. And I think this can also be seen like one of the best examples is the school system and and how schooling is kind of done right now, where, you know, you have young boys. I think it's it's been well shown that uh, young boys are much more likely than young girls to have a need for, I guess, physical play and like physical behavior, Um, obviously. I don't even know if we have to give this disclaimer, but hashtag not all. Um, But in the school system, you have every kid is kind of just expected to come to school, be well behaved, don't do anything physically with your body, just come and sit down and listen and write and draw and then go home and sit down and write on write your homework or whatever. And you might have 15 minutes to go out into recess, but if you play cops and robbers, that's wrong because you're playing right. with pretend guns. And if you get into a fight, that's really terrible and everybody's gonna be, you know, on timeout for the next two weeks. Um, you have this kind of attitude in the school system that is personally, I think harmful for young girls too. I don't think that's natural for anybody. I definitely struggled in the school system, but for boys, I think there is more of this like biological uh, reality of expressing yourself more physically and resolving conflicts in a more physical way. And the idea that, you know, all physical expression of emotion and physical play is unnecessary and dangerous. And if you, as a young boy, do exhibit these behaviors, they need to be corrected. I think that's a major problem that we have in our society because it doesn't uh, acknowledge or come to terms with this reality. And then I think when you don't come to terms with a reality like that, those natural behaviors might end up being expressed in a very different way. And um, I think that's maybe where we are getting some of the more um, negative examples of male aggression. I think that this plays a big role in, for example, spicy school shootings, uh, because you have these young boys who are just really (laughs) not allowed to express themselves in a normal, healthy way for a young boy. And then most of them are on like a bunch of different psych meds also. So I think then, it doesn't surprise me that there would be an uptick in young men and young boys exhibiting uh, more drastic, aggressive behavior if they live in a society that doesn't integrate their tendency towards physical expression and aggression. So, so I, I agree with you. And I, it just occurred to me because the last seminar that I just had with my class, um, one of the things we talked about is gender non-conforming behavior in kids and how um, boys tend to police um, gendered behavior more strictly than girls. And so if there are little boys who have more kind of female typical interests or play styles and don't want to engage in rough and tumble play or do sports, um, those boys are bullied they really suffer. They can be bullied. They, you know, can be ostracized 
by the boys um and it sort of channels them into sort of a strictly to uh hanging out kind of with the girls but the reason i'm bringing this up is because what you're talking about i think is just letting kids do what they need to do it's and because there's some girls who who really want to it also be um sort of tomboyish and yeah, hang out absolutely. with the boys and you know that would probably be not approved of either so it's this idea yeah. of expectations for gendered behavior gendered play and punish but punishing boys more than girls or boy typical play so i i completely agree with you and i hadn't even really thought deeply about the ways that that shaming of boyish behavior starts that early and is institutionalized mm. and is just damaging to male psychology um yeah and it can also interfere with their performance in school and we know that mm. there are now you know that gulf is widening between male and female um academic achievement in college and, uh, and going to college and um that's just widening yeah, absolutely. At the same time as we're kind of seeing in in certain populations an increase in violence by, you know, teenage ad adolescent right. boys. Because they don't have the space maybe to work out whatever they need to work out mm -hmm. in school, maybe through play or um, and, and I think that's a great example of how that kind of treatment, when you shame and shut down people's ideas or people's sort of natural, healthy behaviors, you just create extreme versions. Um, and that, yeah, that's unhealthy for everybody. Yeah, I just, I, I feel this way not to, obviously, like I said earlier, excuse any of these like atrocious behaviors, but having been on testosterone, I feel like if I was going through that and I was 13 or 14 and I didn't have a father and I, my, all the adults I interacted with were women and I was brought up my entire life from childhood, just told that I need to sit down and punished every time I did anything physical, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then I got hit with this testosterone wave in puberty. Like I, I can really see how that goes really wrong in some young boys who who are especially maybe inclined in certain directions or or vulnerable if they don't have the the support and the structure that they need to integrate the the effects of testosterone i mean so there's not only the needing the support to understand why you're different say from girls but then in adolescence you have this really crucial period where and this is where I'd love to hear what your experience is, because when you transition that you're going through something like a male puberty, no matter what age you are, if you transition from female to male. So it would be, you know, and if you don't have the support and the guidance and role models and the ability to talk about your feelings uh, or challenges or how do you navigate these feelings towards whatever the whoever the target of your sexual attraction is, um, yeah, then you you never learn how to be a good man or maybe even a good trans man, whatever the case may be. So do you want to, can you say a little bit about 
what that before was. you answer helena could, yeah. could we just like talk about the conception of a male puberty and how that's uh, instigated by testosterone <clears throat> even in females that get on testosterone could we just do a little bit of like the sciencey part like what does sure. that mean so i just want to you said helena you said before it's helena not helena right does that it's right? helena with the emphasis on the second e <laughs> she froze and shocked no. at your Can't. pronunciation. Oh, it is Can't Helena. Take the second E. Yeah. All right, Helena. Are you back? Are we all back? Yes, okay. we're all back. So you said that transitioning and going on testosterone isn't the same. Your experience isn't going to be the same as it would be for a natal male. Um. And one of the things that is different that I think is really important and underappreciated is that, you know, of course, yes, you've gone through life living as a female or as a, a woman up until you transition, but you also have um, not been had your brain masculinized or your body masculinized in utero. So you're entering that transition. So in with a something like, you know, I don't think their female brands are like this and male brands are like that, but testosterone is doing something uh, permanent to the male brain in utero, like very early on. And those are long lasting changes. So that when you experience high testosterone in puberty, that testosterone is acting on a, you know, masculinized neural structures. And those, those mm -hmm. effects might be very subtle, but they're probably widespread. And there are some you know, we have some evidence from non-human animals exactly how that works. It's harder to get it in humans, but I think there's no doubt that there are, uh, that's an important piece. You know, you wouldn't grow a penis and give an animal testicles and start making sperm if there isn't a, a associated um, behaviors that have neural underpinnings that are activated by the hormone that you have more of than females do. So anyway, so I think that is an important piece that when a um, trans man goes on testosterone, it is different. It's going to have different effects, not just because you've been living as a female or as a woman, but because it's acting on a brain that hasn't been masculinized. And I, I don't really think that has um, been addressed adequately, at least in the literature that I've seen. So there's that about the behavioral effects of testosterone. Um, but in terms of the science part, um, if you've already gone through a female puberty, so there's two ways to do it, of course. You can go on puberty blockers and transition, and that has very, very different effects, of course, than if you've already gone through um, female puberty. So if you've already gone through a female puberty, then there are you know a number of effects, and the um, psychological, emotional, cognitive, psychological effects tend to occur very early on relative to the physical effects. And you, you can probably speak to that, but I'm guessing that you felt different almost right away, you know, with your yeah. first injection or however you took it and that your libido probably went up pretty quickly. Your energy probably went up pretty quickly. Um, and it sounds like you do you did not have a lot of uh, voice change, which is good now. Yeah, that's I something suppose. that I 
that I wanted to see if you had. I'm not going to derail, but that's something that you I know, wanted you to see. No, you can derail because because this is part of it. So how um, old were you when you transitioned? I was 18 when I started testosterone and I was on it for a year and a half. And I did have some voice change. Like my voice yeah. change is not necessarily deeper, but it's it's a little bit like froggier than it used to be. Like yeah. I kind of, I got a little bit of the trans guy voice. Um, but other than that, I really didn't have any kind of outward changes. All of my experience was really psychological. Like I didn't grow almost any increased body hair. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even get like the acne that you're supposed to get. I didn't. Did you get, did you get, did you lose fat and gain muscle? Like you had more lean body mass? I lost a small bit of weight, yeah. but I'm not sure how much of that was due to the testosterone. I don't think I gained any muscle mass. I never noticed that. I kind of remained very soft. I'm, I'm a soft person. <laughs> um, Do you so... know if you went on a like lower dose than? No, I was on a, I was on a really high dose okay. compared to most other trans men. So my theory that I kind of tell people that has no scientific evidence behind it um, is that I've heard before that if you take too much testosterone, then your body can start making estrogen more too. Because as a trans guy, you don't get on any estrogen blockers or anything. So I've heard that if you take too much testosterone, then your body can make estrogen as well. And it kind of will even out, but I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So I can, remind me to come back to that point about the estrogen. Um, but the voice is interesting because it depends where you are in your puberty. So some people, so what happens is um, that the, the vocal cord, so you, sorry, I'll just step back and say when males go through puberty, the testosterone causes the um vocal folds or vocal cords that has a, a bunch of different effects but first of all um it lowers the whole um larynx lower uh in the neck which increases the sort of uh power of the depth and power of the voice but it also um increases the thickness and length of the vocal folds. So if this is the trachea here, the vocal folds are like that kind of over it, those thicken and lengthen, which pushes out this cartilage that sits over the um, vocal folds. And that cartilage is like a 90 degree angle then in males because of testosterone, but that thickening and lengthening of those vocal cords deepens the voice. So it's like in, in the book, I say it's something like if you had a thick a long rubber band and you plucked it, you would have a lower frequency um, vibe and it would be sort of a, a lower um, register. Then if you had a thin, tight rubber band and you plucked it, it would be higher. So that's basically what happens. And once that happens to males in puberty, that can't be undone. Mm. And the other thing that happens is the um, diameter of the windpipe uh, the, of the larynx increases, give, allowing more air to move through the system and more power to the voice. And you get, mm. you also have larger lungs and you have larger like navel cavities and um, all of that gives the male voice more power because of those testosterone changes of puberty. So if you as a female take male levels of testosterone after your whole vocal situation, um, has been 
largely unaffected really by puberty. I mean, there was really very hardly any changes to all that. There are certain structures there that are no longer receptive to change. So you can no longer change the diameter of your um, larynx. I hope I'm getting this right. Um, so that's going to stay the same. And that's um, why, but you can get the vocal folds are still somewhat susceptible to um, thickening and lengthening, but they can't lengthen they can't lengthen across like a larger diameter tube. So they can thicken, but they can't lengthen. So you get some, so some trans men will, their voice will change, but it's not ever going to be like a male, a male voice. voice because you're not lowering that whole system down here. You're not lengthening the cords because you can't increase the diameter of that whole like tube system basically. So, sorry, that's a long answer. No, that's really interesting. But Um, that's why you get some change. But if you're a little bit earlier, it depends where you are. It's not age-based, you know, it's what stage you are in pubertal development. So some people your age will experience much more of an effect and have like a fully masculinized voice and you might be thrilled about that but now we have all these detransitioners and it's heartbreaking because this is so upsetting for someone who's trying to live now as a woman and because when Mm. you talk when you talk to someone who looks like a woman but has a male voice it's very um disconcerting like it's hard Mm. for us to put those pieces together as human beings who use these cues to sex people we we just do and that's hard to kind of override um, so if you detransition, you ha- if you want your, if you want to undo that deep voice, if it's been masculinized, you can the only thing you can do is have surgery. Interesting. That's the only thing that works. So this um, this phenomenon where the vocal cords thicken and lengthen, but they don't, they the larynx doesn't widen, so they can't really lengthen. Do you think that that? process could cause pain because i know that's one of the things that i've been dealing with is that still to this day if i talk for long enough i start to get like soreness in my throat um and that's just a pain in my ass so do you think that that has anything to do with it it could i had never heard of that i'm just looking in here to make sure i didn't screw something up i haven't like nobody ever asked about this so um Yeah. Okay. Is it uh, like when you're in a bar or something like that and you have to yell a lot? Hold on. That's when it comes up or just when you just talk normally for at length? Definitely. If I raise my voice, it comes on a lot quicker. Like if I yell, like today, if I were to yell, I would probably have a sore throat for like two days afterwards. Um, Mm. But for the most part, it's just like if I have like a really long conversation, like sometimes I'll do a podcast, like Last week I did a podcast that lasted like three hours. And then after it, I was literally like, oh. <laughs> um, so, but it's a lot better than it used to be. It used to be like when I was still on testosterone, I felt like I couldn't talk for like 10 minutes without having throat pain. Um, oh, so it's really? a lot better now. It takes a couple hours of, of straight talking. And I mean, like I talk a lot. So it's kind of like after a couple hours of me just mostly monologuing, then I get throat pain but um yeah so it's definitely better than it used to be but it's i I hope it goes away someday because it's very annoying interesting um because there's a lot of literature on vocal changes 
um, and how they respond to testosterone and what happens in when people transition one way or the other. There's because it's so important to people. Like you were saying, you really wanted to have a male, like masculine voice. You know, that's super important. So there's a lot of work. There's a lot of literature on how satisfied people are, and most trans men are satisfied, but they're not. You know, it's not exactly what they imagined, um, mm. but they also they learn how to um, deepen their voice or, you know, trans women will learn how to kind of um, lighten up their voices, too. So they can only yeah. get a feminine voice by having surgery. But of course, if you take puberty blockers, you'll and go through. Um, a if you're a female, if you go through a testosterone fueled puberty, you will, you know, will do everything that it would do in a um, natal male. And if you um, take, if you're female and you take testosterone, it will do every. Sorry, if you're, did I just screw up the direction there? Anyway, if you use cross sex hormones, it, testosterone or estrogen will do what you want, and you will have a. Um, very masculine or feminine typical voice. So the, the puberty blockers work for certain aesthetic purposes. They actually facilitate uh, various uh, aesthetic uh, or e external uh, transitioning uh, signifiers, such as the voice, and probably uh, it, it decreases, uh, I guess, the widening of the hips for women. It doesn't initiate certain pubertal processes. So regardless of the dangers well, of puberty blockers, it's still... Well, if you take cross-sex hormones. Yeah, on, on top of the puberty. It's not the blockers themselves. Yeah, it's okay, blockers, yeah. which almost everyone does. So in essence, yeah, it's sort of, it's puberty blockers followed by cross-sex hormones, which like 95 to 99% of people on puberty blockers will continue to. Yeah, that's the whole argument that, you know, the aesthetic changes are so profound that we can ignore everything else that makes a human being happy and healthy and just focus on that. Yeah, I mean, let's just, you know, it always, I think, needs to be said that if you do that, if you take puberty blockers and go through, it's not exactly, of course, the same thing as going through the puberty as the opposite sex. For one thing, your reproductive system doesn't develop. I just want to say this over and over. And um, you will not have children, like you will never be fertile. And um or so oftentimes functioning genitals and the ability right. to be sexually active. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's not enough research, I think, on that part of it, but it seems that there's a serious inhibition of sexual functioning. A lot of the time there's no capacity for orgasm, but definitely if you don't develop your reproductive system in puberty, you will never make viable gametes. You know, there's a lot of research now into how to harvest some tissue from the gonads to possibly um, allow people to produce or, uh, viable gametes in the future, but that's not a technology that we have right now. Hmm. Wow. Um, what about the hair? Because that's, so it's super variable, um, the extent to which you can get the hair that you want. So you definitely, if you go in the, um, male to female direction, if you've already had those hair follicles affected by testosterone, then they don't go back to being vellus follicles. Um, they become follicles that produce thick 
hairs and they, they, those follicles enlarge and the hairs that they produce enlarge. And once, once you go in that direction, you can't go back, but you yeah. can go from vellus follicle to, which is just like peach fuzz to a follicle that produces um, thick manly hair, but you can't yeah go the other way. Unless yeah, you get so I didn't really get almost any like change or increase in my hair. Like I, I mean, I have like two chin hairs that pop up every couple weeks, I and I just pluck them. <laughs> yeah, but no, but these are like they're like thick. So yeah. I always like I always make a note of that when I'm talking to my boyfriend. I'm like, oh, look at my chin hair, and he's like, that's great. Um, so I have the two little chin hairs, and then. Um, I had a little bit of increase in my leg hair, but it didn't change texture. Like it didn't get thick, like a male leg hair. It's still like the kind of thin female texture of leg hair. I just got a little bit more of it and that's about it. I didn't get any other like body hair or change in that. So again, very like, it's, it's really confusing to me why I had such like a, intense experience psychologically on testosterone but i had almost no physical changes so i don't know the answer but it seems that the uh, testosterone's actions in the brain are fairly consistent like pretty much everyone mm -hmm. who goes from female to male levels will be dramatically transformed you know the specific ways that you're going to be transformed could vary but from what I understand from the literature, and this is stuff that I didn't know before I wrote the book about exactly how testosterone um, controls the uh, transition from vellus, say, to, to terminal follicles. Terminal follicles are the ones that produce the um, thick, dark hair and, and other um, secondary sex characteristics. So the muscles, so you had a lot of psychological changes behavioral changes, but you didn't have a lot of secondary sex characteristics that you wanted, like voice and hair and muscle. So I know that the changes in um, hair, because I actually looked into this exact question, why don't some trans men get the beards that they want? Mm. So it has to do, so there's genetics, obviously, have a lot to do with it. Also, the number of hair follicles that you have in your skin. Mm. So mm. it's really, it's testosterone converted into dihydrotestosterone that um, is responsible for the conversion of vellus to terminal follicles. So anything that has to do with your skin and your genitalia, that's dihydrotestosterone, that's DHT. Mm. It's not, so, but they're both androgens acting through the androgen receptor. Um, so but the I body has to process of... the testosterone into the DHT and some Sorry? female bodies, some female bodies might not be efficient at converting testosterone into DHT. So there can be, yeah. So you have all the genes for, so you're getting the testosterone, right? But then that has to be converted via this enzyme 5-alpha reductase and you have a gene for that protein. So you have a gene for 5-alpha reductase. So all these things come in slightly different forms. And you also have an androgen receptor and there's a lot of different forms of the androgen receptor. And this is like, there's actually ethnic differences in the mm -hmm. way the androgen receptor is activated by testosterone. 
So because what I'll just say, what the receptor does is once it binds testosterone, it acts as a transcription factor, which means it can up or down regulate various genes. And one of the genes that DHT or testosterone will activate or the set of genes are those in your facial skin or in your um, muscles to some degree. I mean, that can be DHT or, sorry, you should, I'm going on too much about all this science No, stuff. no, no. I just, no, I just, I, what, I like what about baldness? Okay. I just, we can't uh, That's test DHT. baldness. What? Okay, so baldness happens, uh, you can't reverse baldness once baldness that is correct. occurs. That is correct. Yeah. Which is the that. shutting down. It's like the, it's the reversing of the it's, production. It's, or? You have, so that's totally DHT and that's testosterone converted into DHT. DHT is active in the, those hair follicles and it slows down the um, uh, growths that the, sorry, it lengthens the time between growth cycles of your hair so that they become so long so when they when you have long time a long time between those growth cycles then your hair can start to fall out but it's in a male you know it can be Perfect. receding hairline or um and that's why you often yeah. see like bald guys with really thick beards and then that's you, no that's that's right that's right and because people are confused why do i why can't i move like what i'm getting here to yeah <laughs> up here yeah. Um, and then sometimes you also see guys with like the most luscious heads of hair. They don't grow very good beards. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, eunuchs who are castrated, like if, if you're a guy and you're castrated early on, you will um, always have a nice head of hair. Like you'll die with a mm. nice full head of hair. You'd be, yeah. Interesting um, because uh, my family is like not none of the men in my family have hair loss really like they all have nice even into old age they've all got like my grandpa's like 86 and he has a full head of hair so that's your mom's um, dad i'm guessing yeah 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 that's and then, that's maternally inherited yeah and so then if even your mom's my dad, dad though, has hair then the guys in your family are in luck interesting interesting yeah because yeah because he's like are I said, they 86 bearded, and though? he's just got like a in nice hair huh are they bearded your family do they grow no big that's beards? the thing okay. no none of the men in my family grow good beards uh but they've all got really nice hair so and they don't have a lot of body hair either so because i've been thinking about this and like well, why the heck didn't testosterone make me all manly <laughs> hmm. but now we can go into the psycho psychology and the psychological um uh effect that it had on you and i'm wondering to what extent it's permanent too uh, to what extent are you just going to have a boyish brain no yeah i'm really good at math now i used to not be but <laughs> Wait, <are you> serious? <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm still oh. really bad at math I'm still no, really some bad. people have said that that changes when they are on testosterone <laughs> unfortunately more... for me i still struggle with my basic okay. times tables so <laughs> um yeah let's talk about it yeah, what was your what was your experience right so um for anyone who is interested maybe we can link this i wrote that substack piece that goes into you know kind of chronological order of, of the basics of that experience for me but um yeah i it really strongly impacted me on multiple fronts so obviously i i did have um 
I don't think I experienced a change in sexuality going from like male attracted to female attracted, but I definitely started experiencing sexuality in a very different way that I think was kind of an interplay between some of the things we know about female sexuality and then kind of piling testosterone on top of that. So I'm really interested to discuss that because I know the the effects of testosterone on sexuality are, are kind of a, a hot topic. But um, so I had that. And um, can I then ask you I a question also, about mm-hmm. that? And maybe you're going yeah, to maybe we this. can just talk about that and talk about the rest later. Um, just because in some of the conversations I've had with trans men in particular, they've told me and I found this. <clears throat> I mean, I yeah, I guess I didn't see this in the literature, but I heard it from a few people independently mm-hmm. that they began to objectify uh, women's bodies. Um, and you could say it like that. Yeah. Think about, they began to think about the body parts more than actual human being and more about the body parts. And they felt an obsession obsessed with, um, the body parts and a really strong motivation and sort of need to get with those body parts. I don't even know how to put it. Um, and a lot of fantasies, a lot of visual fantasies. That's pretty accurate. Um, Yeah. So for me, I always, you know, was interested in men. Um, I wasn't really all that interested in, I did identify as bisexual when I was in high school, but like, I, you know, I mostly was thinking about men. Like the rest of us, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think I've always, I was heterosexual at that time. And I, you know, am heterosexual now, but when I was on testosterone, it was really interesting because it's like, I could see, so like the visual aspect of eroticism was a lot stronger, like you said. And it's like, I could see sexual imagery in general and feel personally aroused by it, even if I didn't want to pursue women like in a romantic sense, like I was still, you know, I identified as a gay trans man, but um, like just the fact that something was visually kind of erotic was then appealing to me when before testosterone and now I'm so much less affected by visual things. I, you know, if I see a sexual, like, you know, if I'm scrolling Twitter and somebody posts porn on my timeline, I get like a ew response. I don't want to see that. But when I was on testosterone and I would see something like that, I would get like a physical arousal response, regardless if it was a man or a woman. And did you feel that in person though? Did you feel that your attraction to women had less to do with your relationship with the woman or her personality and more to do with what she looked like basically? Yeah, so I did date a woman at the time, but she was a trans man who passed really well as a male. So she looked like a male, but she just had, you know, underneath a female body. Um, So, but I did feel like an attraction to her in like a weird objectified way. Like it's, it's really hard to wrap my mind around it and to explain it. Um, yeah so did it feel more urgent did totally so can you explain what that was like because women don't necessarily you know yeah women have high sex drives love sex that's mm -hmm. not what we're talking about it's a different quality of urgency and frequency of that feeling right 
Um, it was almost like I wasn't in control of my body anymore. Whoa. It was it was like being almost kind of like possessed by something where it's like if I became physically aroused, like I could not, you know, it was really difficult for me to um, inhibit, make my own decisions. Like it was like I was kind of like really controlled by that physical response. And because of that, I ended up getting into some situations that are, you know, maybe were not the best. But um, yeah, I've definitely felt like that was something that was a huge change from how I was before, which before testosterone, I think I had almost maybe even a low sex drive. I would get, you know, sex drive feelings around like, like once a month, like pretty, I'm sure it was around ovulation. But other than that, like, I could take it or leave it like I wasn't really all that interested in it or obsessed with it or preoccupied by it in the slightest. I um, mean, like I said, you know, seeing erotic material was gross to me. Had you but been then, sexual before you transitioned? No. no. So, I mean, that might have had something to do with it. Not that's, having that's the true. sex drive. Because once you, I mean, experience does for males and females make a difference in terms of your sex drive and how you re react in the future to the target of your um, attraction. But can That's I also true. just ask you about something you just said, because yeah. what you said is difficult, I think, for people to hear, which is, mm. it sounds like rapey. It sounds like an excuse for kind of rapey behavior because you said i felt it was difficult to control your own body but that you had desires or motivations that felt like overpowering is what you described basically well yeah let me clarify it for my own experience yeah i didn't do anything rapey it was more like you know somebody else is propositioning me i know it's not a good idea but i would engage in it anyway or engage in things that i didn't want to do just because i was kind of in that situation and having because you were horny response. basically or what basically like I, I don't know it's really hard to explain but yeah um just yeah i just didn't really have self-control i was totally like um overwhelmed by the power of like it like it was compulsive almost. So, I mean, that is what a lot of teenage boys seem to experience. And I think if you had stayed on testosterone longer, that would have mellowed out. It still would have been very different than life as a woman. Yeah. But that intensity, I think that you're describing mellows yeah. out in trans men over time, you learn how to deal with it basically, I think. And yeah. that intensity goes down. But I think what you're describing is, Benjamin, you could say something about this um, because it is what I'm hearing from guys about what it was like being a teenager, being, you know, being an adolescent, that it's like, holy crap. It's very, it's like there all the time, you know, you're becoming a sexual being. That's what it's for. That's what the hormone is for. You come, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And we live in this complicated social world and you have to learn how to navigate that. So I don't know. Um, if I can just say one more thing, I think like a word that describes it well is compulsive. Yeah. Where like when I would feel physically aroused, I was very compelled to bring that into action. Whereas now <laughs> it's like I can become aroused and if I, if I need to or want to, I'm perfectly happy just keeping it in my head. Like I don't really need to act on it.
Yeah, it's adaptive, I hate to say, but it is. I mean, the fact is that that extreme motivation is adaptive for males in a way it's not for females. The way you just described for females, you don't have to. You have choice. You want to be able to exercise choice and make wise decisions because the costs of reproduction are so much higher for you than they are for a man. And although disturbing in reality, it, this is basically, this is a sex difference that exists, not just in humans, but in nature. And that is what the hormone does. And it's so amazing that you're this human animal using language to describe this. It's so powerful. Um, yeah. And it's something that just needs to be like reckoned with. We can't live in denial about this and call it evil and call it rapey. Right. Like it, it, we need to just acknowledge that this is part of the experience for many humans. And we need to, you know, really as a society figure out how are we going to integrate this so that men and young boys can, you know, integrate this into their lives and not be vulnerable to not knowing how to really control these urges, because I really understand how that's really difficult, especially for teenage boys. Like I just, yeah, it's something that you can't really explain in words. You just like have to go through it. I guess. Did you enjoy it? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I always really imagined distressing. that that would be fun. Not but for it, me. And just no. having that kind of sexual desire and then satisfying it. It just sounds good. Maybe not to have it all the time, but that, see, I mean, if you're, I don't know that it's not good. Uh, maybe that's just my temperament and my personality, but yeah, I definitely did not enjoy it. I'm more of a, I'm a very physically reserved person. And like, you know, I don't, I don't express myself in big ways. I don't like, you know, go for hugs easily you know I'm, I'm a very like physically reserved person so when I was suddenly overwhelmed by this lot lack and loss of control over my behavior uh that was really distressing okay and I think that I've I've heard similar distress from some of the young men I know who are similarly kind of physically reserved and puberty was very distressing to them for that reason. Yeah. And a lot of these young men are detransitioned too. So when, when they went through this kind of puberty and were overwhelmed by the effects of testosterone um, and they no longer felt like they, they could be as in control of their bodies. Um, that's, you know, I've heard that be described as part of the reason why they were so desperate to kind of escape being men and, yeah. and clamp down these feelings by using drugs. And that's interesting because I, I think some natal females want to escape that male attention Mm. during puberty and that that's a reason to transition. Yeah. Wow. Uh, On the other end, um, what about the attention from men? Uh, Because I know that we talk about, uh, you know, coaching men on how to deal with certain aspects of testosterone, but I think that there can be, uh, and you get in trouble with this, with the feminist uh, line of blaming the victim or anything, but there's a way of interpreting male attention that isn't just strictly put it all in the rapey or the creepy box, Mm. but like understand how to navigate that. And I think that Helena, you might have experience on both sides of that. And Carol, you probably have uh, at least you've thought about this a lot. So just from the 
female point of view, how do, how does one interpret the male gaze? Right. You enjoy uh, it. Whenever, whenever it. someone, just a quick <laughs> off note. Uh, whenever someone says the male gaze, I always hear it as like the male gaze. Yeah. So how do we interpret the male gaze? <laughs> um, yeah, that this is an interesting one for me because kind of going off of what I said, as someone who is pretty reserved, I've always struggled with uh, this idea that men might be looking at me and being attracted to me and, and like want to like interact with me in a sexual way. Like that's always been kind of difficult for me to handle mentally and emotionally. Um, but yeah, honestly, the the testosterone experience, as distressing as it has been for me, it's kind of like, um demystified it a little bit and like i'm i'm more able to kind of just see men coming on to me as not being inherently predatory or that they're doing it because they hate women they want to hurt me they're objectifying women because they're evil and society trains them to objectify and rape women um i'm more able to just kind of see it as like oh he's just a guy and probably thinks I'm hot and so he's coming up to talk to me and that's normal Can you... I don't know this is like this is just uh the testimony of someone who grew up too online and was ingesting feminism from a really young age about how men are all going to rape you um but that's just been my personal journey of how to understand these interactions with men in a different way because they used to really intimidate me do you ha so this is a little out there but um you talked about men hating you. And I think some men do hate women because they cannot have them. Hmm. Um, you know, like incels say, and I hmm. wonder if you had any th thoughts or insights about that kind of feeling that men might have that might drive them to be like women haters or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think we're just like, as a society, our like sex relations are really confused, like the relationship between men and women. I, I just think like men are growing up with so many like confusing messages about what their feelings and uh, desires mean and how to handle them and what to do. And I think it's, yeah, I think that's kind of a symptom of just the general confusion that we have and a lot of men who you know usually like from what i've seen these like incel types like they they're more likely to have grown up without a father and not have uh male role models and just i think are are struggling and then you know the internet has these rabbit holes and just leads people down into really unhealthy ideologies and i think that exists for women too. Um, yeah. Can we go back to bisexual phase? Carol, you, you joked about everybody has that phase, but it is kind of a female thing. Like, is it social? Is it psychosexual? Like the, this bi phase thing? Cause back in my college years, girls had a bi phase. Now they have a guy phase. <laughs> it seems like there's something about uh, the fluidity of female sexuality or is it a social construct? or a cachet that they get into. Well, I, I mean, I can just say the, if you look at the literature on 
objective um, sexual response, which is measuring. So you know about this, the penile plethysmograph and the vaginal photoplethysmograph. So two ways of measuring um, sexual arousal via blood flow to the vagina versus uh, penile circumference. So um, what is it? Tur- not turgidity. There's got to be a better word. Um, so according to those studies, it, it, there is a clear difference in sexual response. I'm going to say something that's t- TMI, but I think it's interesting and it does reveal something yeah, about my own sexuality, but I think it's instructive here. So Helena, is that mm-hmm. correct? Okay. You wrote, I think, or tweeted or about these cartoon things that I didn't know anything about. These like animals and drawings of guys, Hente. two men having sex or blowing each other or like they're cartoon. The guys are huge and they're with, uh, it, I looked it up because I, I did, hadn't heard of the MAGA or not Yowie. MAGA. 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 <laughs> Sorry, not MAGA. What is it? Gay um, MAGA. What? <laughs> it's a thing. They're going to come thing. after me now. Um, and so I looked yeah. at, last night I was looking at some of these videos, videos and cartoons. Oh, wow. You said that people don't understand to appreciate what teenagers are looking at. Are you talking about like gay fan fiction? Yeah. But yeah, stuff. Yeah. But it's yeah. cartoon. It's like drawings and yeah. and anime. And, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But it's There's men. It's it's yeah. men. There's like a yeah. big, strong man, and then yeah. two littler men who are kind yeah. of look feminine. So yeah. I was looking through. I don't know how much to say here. Uh, whatever. I was looking through this stuff. <laughs> I have seen. I did for my research for my dissertation. I showed some graduate students pornography. And I showed like lesbian porn and heterosexual porn. So I'm just saying I've seen lesbian porn because of course I saw it for my (laughs) dissertation. For science. For science. (laughs) I prefer lesbian porn. Not that I watch a lot of porn or anything, but if I were going to, I would prefer to see, I think, two women. I don't want to see the guy. I I don't like the, the guy porn, even for men. Okay. So the point I'm making here is these cartoons... Even having like a dog, like these furry cartoons where you have animals who are both male having sex of some kind, or this kind of, I was semi arousing. It had a charge to it. No, I, I, I get you. I was like, oh my God, why is I know I'm turning totally red, but I. I was like, how could this possibly be working for me? And the answer is obvious. It's female sexuality is fluid. So you, mm. the point I'm mm. getting to, I was just giving this like personal mm. an- anecdote because I was shocked. Because if I look at two actual gay male porn, it's, I don't it's gross. like yeah. that. Mm. But when it was these animals or these like drawings, mm. I thought, I don't know, it like did something, it did something for me. And if you look at the research, if you show women videos of animals having sex, or humans having sex, or gay men having sex, or a heterosexual couple, you get a sexual response from the women to all of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Men mm-hmm. tend to get get an, a, have a sexual response in accordance with their sexual orientation. Yeah. And I showed yeah. 
my husband is going to kill me. I showed so these because I was on the phone. I was like, "Look at this stuff. Does this do anything for you?" He's like, "Not at all." So when he's a guy and he's supposed to be more easily aroused, but I was the one who was like, "I think this is kind of hot, actually." So that's just female sexuality. It is fluid. So you asked about the bisexual bisexual phase, yeah. <clears throat> um. So I think that's, but is it also it. it's also more socially acceptable okay. for yeah. for women? It's like hot for women to be, you know, go through their little lesbian phase. Um, and, it's and I think not- especially especially now it's very like uh, like politically in vogue. Like yes. I just for me, it's like being straight was boring and oppressive and bad. So that's I was what like, you oh, wrote I'm, about, right? I'm bi because I. Like you said, I watched like a lesbian porn video and I found it like mildly arousing. So, I was so like, did wow, you I then put bi. that in your bio? The, that Were I'm you bi? then by and using different pronouns because you that found... That was part of it. Yeah, that was part okay. of it. I, I called myself bi and then... But after a few years when I tried dating a girl and I was just like completely disinterested, yeah. then I, I called myself a gay trans man because I realized that I'm only really attracted to men. But it is true that like um, there's just something more complicated about women's sexuality and a lot of people like they don't understand the whole gay fan fiction thing. And that is a thing that women consume primarily. Oh, yeah, all women. There's so it's no two, gay it's men. Ma- who it's consume. males, yeah. gay men. And wh- so I now There's get There's no it. gay men who read this stuff. It's what all straight that? women. Yeah. What it's, is that about? Uh, oh, man, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, but I, I think for my, my best TLDR about it is that yeah. it's a lot of younger girls um, or maybe at most kind of young adult, and there's some older women, but they're very few and far in between. It's majority adolescent girls. And I think a lot of these adolescent girls are, you know, they're beginning to experience strong feelings towards boys and men, but they're really intimidated by heterosexual relationship dynamics. Yeah. And they're also intimidated by other women and they're, insecure about themselves and they're insecure about their bodies and their ability to be an attractive woman and so instead of really thinking about that because that's kind of anxiety inducing and distressing they find this other medium which is on the face it's two guys but it's written by women and it's written with these kind of heterosexual relationship dynamics where like one is more feminine and one is more masculine and the fact that it's two men and they're really into men and they're just kind of having this explosion of new feelings towards men it's like wow two men it's very kind of arousing and appealing and and they can consume this without facing those anxieties that they have about am i a good enough woman this is amazing to me because i didn't know anything at all about this whole genre and what Mm. you're saying is what i when i was introspecting about what on earth was going on not having a woman so the one the thing about heterosexual porn that i don't like is that the man is just abusing the woman is what it looks like to me it doesn't look yeah, like it would actually be enjoyable it looks and painful it's yeah and he seems like an asshole yeah but you remove the woman from it you don't place yourself in it mm-hmm. and uh it's just like hot men it's just men being sexy yeah. but it's not real men it's fantasy mm-hmm. men. it's written by Who women a fantasy man yes so yes 
Yeah, I can, it makes sense. And I don't think people my age know anything, have any idea they what's don't. going on. They don't. I gave a presentation about this at the, there was a D-Trans webinar and like everybody was brain exploding. Um, but I, yeah, in addition to what you just said, there's also that aspect of kind of like, there's the feeling of competition with other women. And I know like yeah. a major type of fan fiction is it's about, you know, fictional characters, right? So oftentimes you, there will be a fictional character or even a celebrity, um, basically a, a male object of the young girl's infatuation and the idea of this guy with another girl with another woman is really distressing because you feel jealousy you feel competition um if there's another girl in the story or another woman in the celebrity man's life um oftentimes you know she's going to be attractive uh because celebrity men don't usually date you know Hopefully, I mean, hopefully aren't dating like insecure, awkward, pimply 13 year old girls. They're dating hot adult women. So, you know, it's like just reckoning with that, like, is really stressful. And these girls, they don't want to be reading fan fiction about that. They don't want to be fantasizing about that. Um, and sometimes they don't even want to be fantasizing about themselves because they're insecure about themselves. And the idea of this male object of their affections being with them makes them feel insecure because they don't want to imagine their own bodies and, and stuff like that. So um, there's a lot a of kind of like, down? sorry, I'm interrupting. Oh, I'm, I'm almost done. But there's a lot of just kind of like very prototypical teenage girl angst involved in this with like being weird about your body, insecure about yourself, insecure about who other boys are looking at and, and stuff like that. Um, so it's just kind of like the alternative being these, these fantasy boys written by girls where you don't really have to confront your jealousy of other women and, and all this kind of stuff um, is really appealing to that like adolescent mindset. Um. So fan fiction is just stories um, that mimic the characters and themes of really popular um, authors. And then there's the visual stuff, which is yeah. anime. I mean, I knew about anime. I didn't exactly understand what it is. But the thing that I'm described that I described, what is that? Um probably just like was it just art like uh there was art but little clips like two minute clips of art um of like animations animation yeah little animations oh yeah so that that's kind of like very similar to fan fiction so you have these like fan communities and they produce just a lot of content and they produce fan fiction but also there's artists so they'll produce drawings and animations and stuff like that so it's all kind of centered around these like fantasies that people are having about certain characters. But it's also, I think, counter to these stereotypes about female sexuality or female porn. It's not soft. A lot yeah. of it is pretty aggressive. Yeah. So that is, was also surprising to me that that is appealing. Um, it's interesting. And, um, and I think, I think there's something about when it's drawn and it's not real people it's safer that, that yeah it's safer yeah. or something or like you said you know in in actual porn you know sometimes it's 
it's very catered towards male sexuality and viewing some of that stuff as a female, even if it's not something crazy, even if it's just quote unquote vanilla porn, um, as a female, it can just be really intimidating because you're like, Oh God, that doesn't look fun. Um, but then with, with the drawings, it's, there's just something different about it where I think it's the fact that women are making it where there's just very subtle things that are appealing more to female sexuality and, and female fantasy that you don't, that aren't there in, in regular porn, because that's, has all the subtleties that cater towards male sexuality. So do you think this genre of porn is, I mean, it sounds like you think this is an avenue or a promoter of uh, transitioning for a lot of people. I think it's, it's involved Um, for a lot of these young people who are transitioning. It's heavily fantasy based. Like it's not really grounded in reality. And there's like, I mean, almost everyone in fandom communities identifies as some form of trans. Um, So the two are very connected where it's like these people who are living in this fantasy world and having fantasy relationships with fantasy characters and consuming all of this media and drawings and all this kind of stuff. They're also the ones who are kind of inventing an alternate personality and living through that on the internet. And that's what kind of being trans is to some of these people. Is it it's fantasy? a way to it's yeah it's a way to engage in fantasy and to almost and kind it, of okay almost like fictionalize yourself sorry yeah yeah and then they they attempt to make it a reality and that's where it tends to go very badly like it did for me because you're bringing this thing that is just completely like off the off the freaking tracks fantasy crazy unhinged from reality and then you try to bring it into reality by taking a a steroid hormone and it just doesn't work because you can't testosterone can't turn you into this fantasy character you've spent years building in your head it's just going to turn you into a masculinized version of you helena and carol i I would like to explore like the the tail end of your transition arc when when you decided to get off it and the depression the psychology that's going on in there and if carol can give any insight on you know the the rebound that one would have with testosterone in their body yeah um yeah so when i stopped testosterone i i continued being very depressed i i didn't have some of those more intense symptoms that i was having while i was on the testosterone so so when did you start having negative reactions and what were they to the testosterone um the first kind of negative reactions that appeared very soon was obviously being distressed about the sex drive changes, but also um, just being a lot more irritable. And like, it, it was, I I almost kind of felt like PMS every day, but instead of crying, I wanted to punch stuff. That's how it felt. Um, and so that kind of started pretty quickly and it just progressively got worse until I started having like rage attacks and I just really struggled to know how to handle these rage attacks because they would just come on and and they would be like, I would feel again, completely out of control of my body. So instead of like hitting other people or breaking things, which is what I was, what my body was demanding of me, I would kind of take it out on myself. And so I had this, these experiences of these kind of like rage attack meltdowns where I would end up really harming myself. And um, that, continued pretty much until I 
started skipping testosterone dosages. And once I started skipping those dosages and going, you know, two, three, four weeks without taking a dose, then those like rage attacks completely started mellowing out. And once I stopped the testosterone completely, I have never had an experience like that since. Um, but I, I continued being just very depressed, but I'm not sure how much of that is the withdrawal of the testosterone or just because my life was shit and I was really depressed. So, yeah. And, and also, I don't have great memory from that time period. I just think I was really out of it <laughs> for multiple reasons. So, Were you depressed before? So yeah. Yeah. I've struggled okay. with just various emotional issues and, and depression for since I was young. The way that men and female, uh, women and men or males and females process, um, we have to process emotions. We have to process stress. And generally speaking, what, what I've seen in the research is that, uh, or with the research that I've done, that men tend to act out physically or through aggressive kind of, even, even aggressive projects in a constructive sense. Like I'm going to go dig a ditch or I'm going to go like, tear down a barn, you know, but we, we have to process things physically where, whereas women process things emotionally. And I wonder, um, is that, uh, what the evolutionary basis of that is? And, um, and is it, um, is it, well, just that whole process of releasing stress. And when you're on testosterone, Helena, you're denied the emotional or the emotionality is compressed into very loud. It's squashed in a, mm -hmm. into something very loud and, and you don't have a lot of wiggle room to yeah. experience a, a flow or, or crying or, or something like that. Or um, just much variation in emotion. Like I feel like I, I'm already a pretty, I think uh, emotionally sensitive person. Like I, I, just have strong emotional reactions and um, and just very layered like emotional reactions. I notice that sometimes when I tell people about what's going on in my emotional life, they're just kind of like, what are you, Jesse, what are you talking about? Um, from Breaking Bad, the scene. Uh, so yeah, so when I was on testosterone, that kind of got completely squashed into just anger. Like it, I, I lost all the weird layers and complexities. I was no longer an onion. I was just like this. Like you couldn't perceive people. all these different things or did you lack access to expressing them or you just couldn't even perceive? I just, stresses? yeah, I, I couldn't even really perceive it. I was just kind of like, I just felt like angsty and irritable and angry all the time. And I couldn't really identify why. Um, and then it would just, when it would get, when I would have an intense emotional reaction, instead of, you know, feeling like, like now I might feel um, extreme, like, let's say I, 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 someone makes me feel abandoned or something. I might feel yeah. like this heavy sense of abandonment and, and like just kind of loneliness and shame and, and all that kind of stuff. But when I was on testosterone, I would just skip through all of that and just want to like beat the shit out of them. So can I just, <laughs> just because of what you're saying, can I just read a tiny part from one of my interviews yeah. about this? Because this is amazing. So this is from a detransitioner. Uh, sorry, I'm getting emotional. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just punch something. I know. Okay. I could. So this is some, this is female to male back to female. 
I could feel my I could feel myself emotionally numb after tea, but it felt normal after a while, just part of me. I cried a total of three times during the whole three years I was on tea where I used to cry every day. I get happy and excited for things again. I didn't realize I missed that on tea because the dullness in my emotions was so normal. Anxiety, joy, depression, and excitement are now all amplified in their own ways. The only emotion that seems duller now that I'm off tea is anger, which mm. used to be my most vivid emotion. I experience mm -hmm. anger differently, more tied in with sadness than rage. I think most of my intense emotions before tea were just due to still going through puberty and it's balancing out for me now as an adult. That sounds so much like what it's yeah. freaking me out because it's so sorry. This is freaking me out because it's a fucking chemical that yeah. changes you so much. And yeah. it changed who you are and how you experience the world in your own. It, it, my students would laugh if they saw this because I'm constantly crying in class when I talk about stuff like this because it's so <laughs> personal. It's a chemical, yeah. but it's so has such profound effects. And there's a reason, like that's why mm. science is cool. There is a reason mm. and we can make sense of this stuff, but people are now like fucking with their chemicals and they don't get how profoundly different they are going to feel and that it might feel yeah. very uncomfortable. Yeah. And people you so I'm just thrilled that you're getting um, the word out there because it's serious. Um, yeah, it's something that a lot of people aren't prepared to handle for multiple reasons. It's not just the the trans movement that's unprepared to really talk right. about this in a serious way. There's all sorts of people who they're going to be really offended by what I'm saying. But like, this is my personal experience. I've lived through this. I understand that testosterone like profoundly impacts your personality and the way that you experience the world, or at least it can. I don't know if everybody has this kind of reaction, but I definitely did. And it really, it, it you know, like when you read the informed consent papers that they give you, they tell you that, you know, you might become more irritable or you might experience mood changes yeah. or whatever, but it's like, there's no way I don't even think in words to convey all these subtle kind of like systemic changes that happen to your perception and your experience of emotions. It's really just like a very, it's like explain, trying to explain this to like women who have not been on testosterone. It's almost like, I really struggle with it. It's like explaining color to someone who, who can't see color, you know, it's, it's or the really, other way around, yeah. or yeah, or the other way around. It, so, so I, I'm a male. I I went through. Uh, I was bathed in tea when I was in utero. So I had uh, the structures in place and in in utero. Um, so when puberty came along, I did get uh, an escalation of uh, violent. Um, just uh, I didn't act it out, but I just I'd get like I where I'd want to like I just feel like an animal like oh I want to like go and eat something you know like totally. I just want to like eat a rabbit like I just want to go out there and then also mm. you know like a heightened sex drive too but between those two poles was this creative kind of this just this way of like me engaging with the world where I could see all these possible links right and that's manifested in male typical humor by the pun like where we just make these really just connections that are not obvious so I wonder if testosterone influences also creative um, side of things like a more productive and constructive thing. And if that is accessed through 
the chemical itself or do you need that the structures in place beforehand if you just bathe a woman a female body in that if she's going to be able to deal with the the other side of this not just eroticism and anger but uh, something more socially applicable cognitive yeah cognitive yeah. insights and uh analytical I... thinking typical i don't i don't want to say anything about stereotypes but yeah it's it's interesting i think that it makes sense to me that men and women kind of have their own um ways of of maximizing the way that these hormones interact with our body like for example um in just like the the female menstrual cycle kind of the the part of the cycle where your estrogen is the highest around ovulation is experienced by a lot of women as like the time when you feel the most creative the most outgoing the most kind of like connected with other people like it's it's it for me and for a lot of other women it does have a profound effect but then if you give a man a bunch of estrogen a lot of the times they're just going to feel like shit if you just give if you just take away a man's testosterone and give him estrogen um they're not necessarily going to feel that feeling that a lot of natal women feel in terms of like the hormonal fluctuations of the menstrual cycle and i think it does go the same way with testosterone where um you know men who have a good testosterone level they're going to feel you know vitality creativity all this kind of stuff um but then as a woman i don't think that that definitely wasn't my experience i know some d trans women who have had that experience and i'm sure there's so much variation um it's it can't all be spoken about as if it's the same thing but mm-hmm. i think you know my body as a woman is supposed to function on certain hormones in a certain way that's what my organs are designed for and then when i just you know interfered with that by injecting a huge amount of this other hormone that's not really supposed to be there in that quantity i i i don't think i i had that same experience that a man would having that amount of testosterone cuz i didn't feel i mean i i felt like I just couldn't even think straight. Like I just felt like just I was losing my mind. I didn't have any kind of creative impulse or anything. I like yeah, I was very much like not a not a well-rounded or or uh functioning person. I just want to say um and I'm sure you've said this a million times but you're you know this is your experience this is mm-hmm. an experience there's a lot of detransitioners who share your experience to some degree but of course there's a lot of everyone's different trans men who've done great and are happy with their changes and mm-hmm. love being on testosterone for the most part however there's a growing number of people obviously we're hearing from where this is not working for them I just want to get that out there but yeah. in terms of the um cognitive changes so there's a huge literature of course on sex differences in cognition and sex differences in different kinds of test outcomes and um abil- not necessarily even abilities but how the sexes do on various kinds of tests and the extent to which that the um test score differences are really mapping onto sort of intrinsic ability is something that's kind of controversial but it seems to me pretty indisputable that there are 
sex differences that are pretty consistent across cultures and cognition. And that has to do with spatial ability and verbal ability, largely where females excel in the verbal skills and males excel in spatial skills, um, which might underlie things like architecture or certain kinds of um, even abstract reasoning or um, potentially even like very high level physics. Um, but th that's not super clear anyway, but yeah, but there are these sex differences. So then you would definitely hypothesize that this has something to do with differences in hormone exposure, but the literature is not super clear because, you know, you can look for changes across the cycle. So you could, um, you might expect that the skills that female females excel in will be sort of heightened around ovulation. Um, but that's not totally clear because steroid hormones can have long-term sort of slow acting mm -hmm. effects because they're steroids. They can, they, um, affect gene transcription, which is a long-term sort of process to have biological effects. Um, so, the, so this is a long way of saying, I don't think the literature is super mm -hmm. clear on the relationship between hormones and cognition. There are a few studies that show that when people transition, their cognition changes in the expected directions, but I don't think that's super robust. Um, when we say verbal skills, what do we mean? I understand spatial skills, but maybe that's because I'm using my spatial reasoning to understand. So, I'll, okay. So, so, okay. One thing I'll just say like with spatial skills, there's a couple examples. So one would be like, um, mental rotation. That is the largest sex difference that exists in cognition. Um, there's, and it's huge. It's a very large, uh, male advantage and that's consistent across ages, across cultures, across all the time that this has ever been measured. So, and nobody knows what that is, but it's, it's like when you ask your girlfriend to turn around when she puts on a new dress. Oh, <laughs> it's a joke. That's your verbal ability. Okay. That's a joke, right? Well, but it's also spatial. You just want to see the Well, thing, okay. Right? So, well, it would be for you to imagine yeah. what she will look like from behind, basically. It, it, but when you imagine that, you will imagine her rotating through space. So instead of just regenerating regen an image of her at the new angle, it could be upside down. It could be, what do I have here? Um, I'll just use my book. Okay. <laughs> so it could be like, what will this look like if you turn it upside down? So if I ask you that to imagine that book that I just showed you upside down, you probably went like this in your brain instead of boom. So why is that? Like we take it for granted that you rotate things in your imagination and then sort of look at them in your brain, which is kind of weird once you start to think about it, yeah, instead really of generate a new, generate it at a new image at this angle. So you take longer. That's interesting. To, I need to figure out how to do that. super interesting. So you take longer. If I ask you to imagine it at a 90 degree angle, that's going to take you half the amount of time as it will to oh. give me an accurate answer uh, if it's 180 degrees, it'll take twice as long, basically. So there's this relationship between the angle of rotation and um, how long it takes to generate a response. And about. 90 degrees is faster than 180? Yes. Okay. There's a there's a, a very clear angle wow. sort of response time relationship there. And it's not just a two-dimensional object. This is with three-dimensional objects. So men blow women 
away here. They're faster and they're more accurate. And it's, you know, like block, like cubes, three-dimensional cube objects that men are much faster and more accurate at. So that's a huge sex difference. There is not a clear, it's it's hard to, um, just like with the sex difference in sports, we know that having a male level of testosterone is beneficial, but we don't see dose response relationships in a clear way between testosterone and athletic ability, right? It's just that it's good to be a guy if you want to be better at sports. It's the same thing with testosterone and something like spatial ability. You don't see this kind of dose response relationship. It's just better to be a guy with guy levels of testosterone. That's what predicts superiority in that. So that's spatial ability. And, but you would use that in like navigation. So you have a mental map in your head, how to get from point A to B. You don't have to think about it. You just have that map. If you're packing your car with a bunch of different shaped suitcases, uh, on average, a man will be better at imagining how to turn those objects to pack them most efficiently in the trunk. And then, you know, he'll do better at that. Whereas verbal ability is like, if I were to ask each of you to generate as many words as you can, starting with a, um, Helena, you'll be, you'll do have on average, you know, you would be able to come up with more words that say start with a. That's so just a simple. F- females have uh, more efficient access to the lexicon and then also articulating. And larger lexicon. vocabularies. I think it's larger vocabularies. Um, but say the second part. It's not just access to the lexicon that the female typical uh, better access to, but also articulation. Because I, 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 when I think of verbal ability, I'm, I'm thinking also like verbal cues and social cues and stuff like that. Do you mean that. oral cues? Uh, just being able to read other people a little bit better, oh. being more connected oh, yeah. to that. That's and that is all, I mean, that's all reading. verbal. That's all basically well, you're reading other people. I, I know that's a well, metaphor. Not, but women are also, be- better able to. Connect to Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know, discern somebody's emotions. Um, so there's that, but that's, uh, a different thing. Okay. Um, so it's like um, reading is earlier and um, Speaking better is basically earlier. Okay, for girls. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, I mean, those are the biggest okay. sex differences. But I guess what I'm saying is there isn't an obvious relationship within sex between, say, estrogen and verbal ability. Um, or within males between testosterone and spatial ability, but that's where we see huge differences. And then when you get on on the tail of a distribution, um, if you have like the female mean for any trait almost, uh, the female bell curve is much more narrow. Even Mm -hmm. if the mean is the same as the male bell curve, the male male bell curve is flatter. So you're always going to have more males out at the high end for any of these traits more males out at the low end also being you know terrible at something uh whatever the trait may be but you'll also then have more males at the high end which can be you know this is one of the reasons why you might see overrepresentation of males in like astrophysics or whatever you know you have some women but you'll have more uh males no i think it's just because of sexual harassment in the workplace i mean it has something to do with it I mean, I think that's reasonable. I mean, they're di- if you have a male 
environment, it yep. could be just uncomfortable for women, even if they're qualified to be there. They might not. I, yeah. uh, <laughs> I saw a tweet the other day uh, that was saying that, you know, like the women's sports issue where you have these these guys who uh, they they come into women's sports and they just blow everybody else out of you the mean water. the trans women. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. yeah. Like Leah Thomas and the cyclists yeah. now. What's but the cyclist male. name? McKinnon. No, this, no, 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 not okay. Ivy. You're talking about um, not not McKinnon anymore. Ivy, yeah. um, Ivy. You, but there's a new Ivy. one in, in Veronica, Veronica there's but there's a new one in UK. Right. She just had this very glam picture, um, but I can, now I can't remember her name. But that's what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, and then I saw somebody. I saw an interesting tweet. I don't know if there is like women's chess championships, but I saw someone say that like uh, if we ever have a situation in which there's a, a trans woman who goes into women's chess and just like blows all the women out of the water, like the discourse is just going to be absolute hell. That would because be interesting. People are going to be completely unable to cope with the implications. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that would be fascinating because I don't even know. I have a friend. Yeah, I, I don't even know if what how trans women do after testosterone suppression. I don't know mm. the like research on testosterone suppression period on something like chest, which is highly spatial. Obviously, it's a huge amount of spatial. But I guess if uh, there. maybe they're not, maybe it's just a trans woman who doesn't want to be on testosterone suppression or estrogen. Maybe it's just, you know, one of these people who identifies, identifies. as a woman. Well, right. Yeah. Well, that would be interesting. Yeah. One. Uh, so I'm, it's taken a long time, but I, I finally got connected with a detrans male community. So male to female to male. And uh, there's a lot of stories in there and it's different than the female to male to female detransition community. And one thing that's popping up is uh, a worry about the uh, effect, the long-term effect of estrogen and blocking testosterone on the male brain and questions about dementia later on in life. Um, we, so could you, we just speak about like the impact of testosterone on the body and specifically the female body? Have you looked into that, Carol, like the, the stresses? Because it is, it's empowering, but that's going to come at a cost. One would assume that there's going to be a trade-off. So, I mean, of course, there's trade-offs in terms of um, reproductive structures like vaginal atrophy, et cetera. And I don't know as much about the long-term effects on the brain. I know you increase the risk for um, heart disease and dementia if you're um, female to male and taking testosterone, which I should just say testosterone will naturally block um, estrogen. So even if you have your ovaries, if you take testosterone, that this is just how the um, endocrine system works in general with the hypothalamus and the pituitary controlling, in, in essence, controlling hormone production from our endocrine glands, like the thyroid or the adrenal gland or the ovaries or the testes. So that when it like with the thyroid, it's the same thing. If you have high levels of thyroid hormone, that feeds, you have receptors for thyroid hormone in your brain that feeds back negatively um, to the thyroid. So your pituitary will tamp down the thyroid stimulating hormone if your thyroid levels are high. So that's how you regulate your hormone levels. And it's the same thing with your ovaries where if you have testosterone 
um, high levels of testosterone, it's going to feed back negatively at your hypothalamus and pituitary that suppresses GnRH, which suppresses LH and FSH. And those are the luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone from the pituitary are the hormones that act in the testes and in the ovaries to produce um, testosterone and estrogen. So the point is, if you take exogenous testosterone, that is going to have the same effect as um, high endogenous levels, which are already in your body. So hmm. if you're a female taking testosterone, it's going to shut that system down entirely. And you will have no, that's how puberty blockers work, which is they, in those are actually um, sort of hyper, so I won't get into that. Puberty blockers, in essence, block the ability of GNRH to stimulate LH and FSH, but which is kind of why they were developed to block testo uh, prostate cancer, like male typical cancers, right? To yes. decrease, yes, because it shuts the whole. It's just, so puberty blockers basically they mimic GNRH because GNRH come is supposed to naturally come in a pulsatile fashion to stimulate the so the the hypothalamus is up here, the pituitary is down here. Hypothalamus sends GNRH like boom, boom. Mm -hmm. boom, like once every hour, right? And that gets the pituitary to then release LH and FSH, which stimulates the um, estrogen and testosterone, say. But if you have GN, so GNRH analog, which is what puberty blockers are, it's just like, boom. It's just like a water tap opening of GNRH on the pituitary. And then the pituitary becomes desensitized to oh. the GnRH, so it doesn't respond. So you have high, you have a um, GnRH analog just constantly stimulating, like in a tonic fashion rather than a pulsatile fashion, stimulating the pituitary. That just blocks the ability of the pituitary to release um, LH and FSH. So both the puberty blockers and exogenous testosterone will just shut down those signals from the pituitary and just shuts the gonads down. Um, I'm going to be spicy, but the lobotomy has targeted the pituitary gland, right? They kind of like just punctured it and swirled it around. But we're basically lobotomizing the endocrine oh, system oh. in a way. Like um, this is just, it's shutting this yeah, thing the down. natural. So it is interesting because when you, because normally you, when you take testosterone or your endogenous testosterone, naturally it's like high in the morning, it responds to social interactions and it declines in the evening. And this isn't this, it works this way for a reason. So like, even if you're threatened, you may have a testosterone response that conditions your future behavior. If you're a winner or a loser, whatever, that's the challenge hypothesis say. Hmm. Um, that whole thing is shut down. So you're not going to have these natural responses that a natal male would have if you're a trans man on testosterone. You don't have the ability to just respond hormonally in a natural way to your environment. Um, so that's one thing. But you also don't have the diurnal decline, uh, which is another hmm. factor um, Do we know, with, you know the long-term effects on the actual endocrine system and its ability to communicate to the environment being based yeah, so in exogenous? Hormones? I don't think there, as far as I know, there may be there. So steroids in um, utero have these long-term organs. They're called organizational effects on the brain. That's permanent. 
when you go through puberty, there can also be effects of estrogen and testosterone that are permanent in terms of changing um, or altering your neural connections, pruning neurons, meaning causing certain uh, cell death, et cetera. Okay, so those are permanent in, in adolescence. But post-puberty, the idea is that the steroids are just activating these structures and that once you remove the steroid or replace it with another one, you won't, it, there are no permanent effects that I know of after puberty. So I think theoretically there shouldn't be any long-term changes. Um, although we know that like, if you um, shut down estrogen, you Im you increase the chances of, say, um, Alzheimer's in a, in a female, right? So there are impacts on the brain, but I don't think there's good research that shows that there are permanent effects of the cross-sex hormones. You can e even the, the reproductive system can come back um, if you haven't taken anything out, any or organs out, it's possible to still um, have viable gametes, but that also is not 100%. Is there anybody doing this kind of research into like hormones and behavior and motivation um, in women? You mean to be more specific? Because um, I, I guess you were talking about, um, you know, the way that testosterone, like it, it is released in response to certain social interactions. And I've also heard that, you know, like testosterone can be influenced by, I guess, in men, certain experiences, maybe experiences where they feel like they have accomplished something um, that can have a relationship with testosterone and that yeah. comes into play with motivation, behavior, mental well-being, that kind of stuff. Do Is there anybody doing this kind of research into female psychology and how, because I, I believe that hormones really impact our psychology, but I just. Oh, they uh, definitely do. They definitely yeah, but, do. So but just, it's, yeah. it's interesting because men have like permanently high testosterone, basically. They're simple. <laughs> it's, it is simple. It's much simpler in that, you know, they'll have a andropause, like they'll have a decline over their lifetime, but for their entire adult life, they are just have a lot of testosterone. Whereas we have these very complicated, mm. um, cyclical changes. I mean, there's lots of research on like comparing women on the pill to women off the pill. So natural mm. cycles to like no cycles essentially. And there are some differences, but this research is kind of controversial because there's not a lot of agreement across studies. There's the one finding I think that's more robust is uh, increase in sexual desire around ovulation. But yeah. there's this idea that you might be attracted to more masculine men around ovulation because you want their genes and you're attracted to the nicer guy with the more feminine face outside of ovulation. That's sort of come under increased scrutiny, scrutiny mm. lately. Um, but there is a lot of research, which I don't think is, uh, the motivation for this doesn't make sense to me. Um, I mean, it, it might have at one time, but there's a lot of research on testosterone changes in women where researchers are looking for the same kinds of changes that we see in men in terms of competitiveness and social situations and aggression. I think that's barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. You don't 
we don't have a lot of testosterone. It's extremely difficult to measure and it's not adaptive for us to have the same kinds of responses as men do. So that there's a lot of that research, but there's not as much on estrogen mm. and things like motivation. Um, and if there is, if it is there, I think it's not, hasn't come up with much because it's just these natural um, cycle changes. And there's so much else that co-varies with those changes that it's hard yeah. to kind of disentangle. Um, whereas with men, we can just see, like, <clears throat> if you see an attractive woman and then you, you may, your testosterone might go up if, because you're going to start competing with another man and showing off. And we, that's, uh, James Roney does that work. That's fairly robust. So yeah, I think it's in a way easier to do that research on men. And it's so interesting in men, but I want to understand women too, because I mean, like, <laughs> I want to understand but it just, yeah, myself. it doesn't work. Yeah. Estrogen isn't responsive as far as I can tell does not in the respond. same way. Yeah. yeah we're, we just don't have that same kind of a system, but just anecdotally, you know, you have these different areas, you have these different periods of the menstrual cycle where women kind of in similar ways usually report similar phenomena in their emotional lives yeah. and and motivation and all this kind of stuff and growing up i had just no idea of that and oh. i was really confused especially in puberty like I, I think that's such a confusing period um and no pun intended i think that it would be better for especially young women to kind of understand how these hormonal cycles really come into play. Cause I do think that they just have like a major effect on. No, your, they I do. Mean, especially on depression and anxiety. Oh, yeah. um, that's a huge. So there is a lot of research on, on that. And there's Haven't a lot of research even... into menopause also and what the change, but it's just not enough. <laughs> you know, it's, isn't there not... some, research that shows that female violent offenders were more likely to be in the four days preceding their the beginning of their period isn't there something like that somebody well, that told would me about be that. In, the, in the luteal phase and that would mean that um you've got high progesterone which yeah, but weird. you have like the PMS symptoms because you know sometimes PMS PMS can make you feel a little oh, crazy. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, and that I the PMS really is severe, de like depression on its, and then on a cyclical basis, and then I had um, my menstrual migraines. So yeah, I mean, yeah. there's really profound changes. Um, yeah, I, I, had, I didn't I know have about to check that. Out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe you can look into it and see if that yeah. if there's anything to this research because I I'm not a I don't know how to read research well, so I don't really trust any of the research I see because it's, you know, I don't trust so many... it either. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but maybe, yeah, I could ask who told me about that and, and maybe send that to you and, and see. No, what it your... does sound familiar. I'm just going to go, I'm going to go look into that. Um... Okay. Because I would believe it because <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> when, when PMS hits, it's like, that's why I said testosterone felt like PMS every day, but instead of crying, I wanted to punch things. That's the, well, that's some the people chaos say that, I that, that that premenstrual period, they feel released from their inhibitions that they feel now they can express um, yeah. that anger or rage or whatever it is that it, it feels like you're giving, given kind of license. Yeah. To I kind of take it as like, I take it as like, I'm I'm checking in with the part of me that wants to give me the worst case scenario for everything because that's kind of like my when I'm PMSing like I just 
anxiety through the roof. You know, it's like everything is the worst case scenario. So it's like I kind of use that as an opportunity to really think through like, okay, so if this really did all crash and burn and die, like how would I respond? So there's a way to use it to your advantage, I think. I'm going to, I'm like going to start healthy, healthy charting response. your tweet cycles to see where you are in your menstrual cycle by how doomer you are <laughs> online. <laughs> I bet there's a correlation. Or how much I fight with people. Cause that's yeah. something that I've really had to like, like it's, um, I, I went through kind of a period of uh, just being, more angry about stuff and then whenever i would pms i would just like come out at people on twitter really? so you know I, testosterone also goes up like estrogen and testosterone go up around ovulation so it is that's mm. why it's so hard to know what is due to what true um, and also there's the behavioral effect of having your period and how that changes things or having the symptoms you know physical symptoms that are premenstrual symptoms so yeah, but there's definitely big psychological changes and a Wonder lot going on in menopause that we don't know a lot about too. Yeah. So, so interesting. Carol, I know you need to go uh, pick up Spawn. Um, yeah. But this is this has been a fascinating conversation. We covered everything from hente yaoi porn to uh, oh, is that what it is? Minstrel, uh, okay. minstrel murders. Hentai, and... yeah, that's the word for like anime porn, and yaoi is the word for gay male anime, and then yuri. Oh, is that's the what word I saw. Yaoi, lesbian. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's the lesbian one? Yuri. And Yuri Who is geared that? towards le- men. Lesbians watch. No, men, men watch the lesbian. Men watch Yuri. Yeah. Gay men. No. Straight, Straight. Heter- heterosexual men watch Yuri, and then um, heterosexual females watch Yaoi. So if you go and watch, like, not all of the anime is is porn. So if you don't want to watch porn stuff, you can just watch non-erotic Yuri and Yaoi, and just watch it and see how differently it's tailored towards okay. who, like, the the audience is. It's actually extremely fascinating. Is that lesbian porn um, anime porn? What's it called? Yuri. Yuri. Is Yuri for young men, like t- like adolescents or, or regular married guys say? Because uh, wouldn't they just rather I'm, watch? Seems like they like the regular. I'm porn. I'm sure it's. I think it's geared more towards like young adult men, not really married okay. men. But I mean, like there's like these, oftentimes, uh, very single, young adult men who watch Yuri. Yeah. Where they don't oh, with have the body relationships. Yeah. yeah, they don't have a lot of relationships with like real women. They're just very into oh my gosh. anime girls and stuff. But it's it is really interesting though. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, and Benjamin, uh, also, to... uh, trans women are overrepresented among fans of this stuff. Which reminds me, I really <laughs> need to send you this article. About, <laughs> this article about. Uh, Femininity, masculinity, anime, and male transitioners, trans women. It's like so fascinating. It's Benjamin, about, can you put that on the, um, can you put that the, on the episode? The oh, he froze. Look at the expression. He froze in. <laughs> <laughs> You're frozen in the funniest expression, Benjamin. We can't even hear you. That's funny. It's his uh, internet. The, the men did not fix it. Right. Uh, but yeah, I will, I'll send him and you that article because it's just like one of my favorite articles ever. And it's so oh, interesting. great. Yeah. Great. And it, it talks about how these like young men, they, they're, they can't cope with their 
masculine like testosterone experience and they become influenced by these like anime girls and it's so interesting but i'll send it to you what do the anime just since he's frozen um what do the anime girls look like like so the anime guys are these big muscular guys Mm -hmm. with like huge penises and then or some of them are small and slight with smaller ones are the women like have huge boobs and tiny waists and all that kind of thing. Sometimes they do, but the ones that really become, cause I mean, you see this, if you see like a lot of trans women online will have anime girl profile pictures and it's usually not the big booby ones. It's usually like the, the ones who look like really young girls and they look super feminine and they're I like, see. they're the ones who are like, ah, like, like I see that are ready <laughs> to be exploited or something. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's just kind of like a, it's a, it's a innocent kind of yeah. like bashful femininity. Yeah. Um, that's just really appealing to these guys, but it's really interesting because like the guys themselves are often not innocent Confident. and bashful. Like they're, they're, they're kind of more, um, you know, kind of pervy, <laughs> right. but uh, they become, they somehow identify with these anime girls. I don't know. I'll send you the article and we can link it so everyone else can check it out because it's truly like one of the best articles I've ever read. Okay. It's been a disaster on my end. I'm going to try to stitch this all together. It's been, it's, it's one of the funnest conversations I've had though. So thank you both for. No, it's great. This has been, I've learned a ton and this was so interesting. Me too. And it's like, this is just, I think one of the most important topics, like I was saying earlier, the relationship between men and women is so confused in our societal understanding of men and women and what motivates us and and how men and women thrive in different ways often is so disconnected. And I think we need to have more of these conversations and just like face the reality that we're different and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. But I, I will say that there needs to be more research and more uh, attempt to understand women. Cause I think that there's a lot of that. The thing men, I just, but... I just have to say women are so hard to study because it is hard to deal with. I mean, I've been working that... on this for 20 years now and I'm not going <laughs> to no results. 35, no, we do. The cycle is really complicated and you got to control for all these factors. So people just yeah. say, okay, I'm just going to study guys. I mean, but there are people studying women. It's just tough. Maybe it's, it's almost like the, the, the medical research model is almost a very male thing and you can't yeah. really apply male logic sometimes to women. I think women, and I mean, this is going to sound so sexist, but I think sometimes women like we behave uh, and we can be explained in ways that are not entirely rational. And there's more of like, that's why we have literature. Yeah, that's true. Okay, ladies. Um, My power is now coming off and on now. Okay. Um, Okay. Um, so I'll let you know when this is up. It's going to be pretty soon. Um, thank you both so much for joining thank me. You. Thank you. Thank you both so much. This is great. Do it again anytime you want. Okay. Yeah. Right. And maybe we can bring, uh, I don't know, some other D-trans people. Maybe we can have another one of these conversations, but with a D-trans man. And, and talk an estrogen about... expert. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. an estrogen expert. Let's do well, it. When's <laughs> E coming out? Hell, uh, Carol, do you have E on the horizon? I, I've been playing with the idea, but you know what I want to do is, um, Helena, I, I, I want to do this. I, I think I want my next book to be more about the experiences that were 
talking about that you like your insights yeah. into what it's like to be on high testosterone and how we need to give space to that yeah. experience. Um, yeah. cause that's just what has come out of all this stuff for me. Yeah, no, I get that. And I think it's such a fascinating topic. It affects I, women. That's about yeah, it women to me. It is about, it does. um, yeah, it, I feel like it will help yeah. women. And yeah. Men, hopefully. I think so too. I think that's a, a good goal, but maybe if we can find someone who's maybe not necessarily strictly an estrogen expert, but I don't know, someone who might be able to give some input on, on that side of things. Um, I'll think about if I know yeah. anybody. Yeah. I think yeah. if you know anybody. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right, ladies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks.